Hey, welcome everybody to week two of Advent. Uh, if you're not familiar with the term Advent, it's just a Latin phrase. It means arrival or forthcoming. And so historically, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, Christian churches have always celebrated the season of Advent, looking forward uh, to the arrival, the coming of Jesus Christ. And so that's really what Christmas is all about. You know, I know that, that might be a shock to some of you, but that's, that's what we believe Christmas is about, is Jesus, you know. Uh, the word Christmas, it's, it's Spanish, it literally means more Christ, so <laughs> nobody on that. Okay, no Spanish speakers. Uh, Chris, Ma- no, okay, never mind. It's actually Latin as well, celebration of Christ, but you can look up your Spanish dictionary sometime. But uh, what we like to do each year here at New Anthem is in this season of Advent uh, is, is look forward to the coming of Jesus. And so we uh, started a series of messages last week uh, called the Dysfunctional Family Christmas, which if you weren't here, that's okay. There's no pop quiz or anything like that. But what we were doing is looking at the family tree of Jesus, which was written down for us by a guy named Matthew. And our hope was to take some encouragement uh, in looking at this pedigree of Jesus because Jesus's family, it was all jacked up, just like your family may be all jacked up. And so uh, his his genealogy that that we see uh, there in Matthew one, we find some folks who, if you had Christmas at your house this year, I promise you, you wouldn't invite them to your house. Uh, you would not want them engaging with your children or anything like that. And I know it sounds odd because when you think of the you know, Savior of the world, you would think if anybody had their family put together and if they had their stuff together, it would be Jesus. But it's simply not true. You know, There's some weird folks in Jesus' family tree. And so uh, really our goal over these four weeks together is to study some of these characters and uh, in Jesus' ancestry in order to help us put the fun back in dysfunction. <clears throat> that's, that's what we're really trying to do. This series is mainly about dysfunction because make no mistake, we all have dysfunction in our lives. Uh, in fact, speaking of dysfunction, I was listening to the radio this week and uh, heard that the new trend is one of two things uh, right now. It's either A, uh, Christmas trees that are hung upside down. Have you all seen these? This is this big idea. Okay, there it is. There's a picture. What? You want to talk about dysfunctional? That's disturbing just to look at. And uh, apparently it saves you a whole ton of floor space. And so they, they hang the tree upside down. I don't know whose idea. Would, I wish I could have been in on that meeting. Hey, here's a great idea, guys. Let's hang the tree the other way. No, that's a horrible idea. But uh, oh, that's the one thing. Or the, uh, the second thing that people are doing nowadays, it's called a cat tree. Uh, again, got a picture of it. Bald halfway down. Yeah, so that's disgusting to look at as well. Uh, it reminds me of the very first Christmas tree we had as a family, not because we had a cat, uh, because we were so poor that was the only, you know we couldn't get all the branches, you know. But uh, so yeah, it's so the the apparently cats like to to burrow about halfway down the tree and live inside there and hang out. So, which if you're making decisions based on you know for Christmas based on your cat. Might I submit to you that this series on dysfunction is for you, okay? I mean, it's just, we designed it entirely for you. You know, steps to knowing God, number one, don't have a cat, okay? That's <laughs> biblical. All dogs go to heaven, so there's that. But uh, 
Here's the real premise for the entire message. These whole four weeks together. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Jesus didn't just come for sinners. Jesus came from sinners. That's what I really want you to get a hold of this Advent season. Jesus didn't just come for sinners. He came from sinners. So let's check this out together. If you brought your Bible, Matthew chapter 1 is where you need to be. Again, Matthew is, is towards the back of the Bible. Just look for some guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is how it goes. Uh, and you need the big number one. I understand that normally when you read the Bible and you come to a list of names, you just skip over that. I, I'm right with you. Okay, we can't pronounce the name. You know, what's the point of reading it? Uh, but this is really important, so we need to check this out. Okay, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. This is a record of the descendants of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Those were twins whose mother was Tamar. We talked about them last week. You can check it out online if you're curious who Judah and Tamar are. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Now, if you've been in church for a little while, you've actually heard of Nashon. You may not remember it, but he was a commander with a guy named Moses. Like, let my people go, Moses. So you've heard of Nashon. And uh, if you don't know much about the Bible, let me just quickly catch you up. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and the pinnacle of His creation was human beings. And He put human beings in a garden, and uh, Adam and Eve, as as they're named, they they fail as image bearers. God said, let us create man in our image, and and they didn't uphold their end of the bargain. They, They didn't keep the one command God gave them, and uh, in His grace, God promises to make a way for them to be restored back to God. Uh, because sin and disobedience fractured this relationship, they couldn't you know, come into the presence of a holy God. God said, I'm going to make a way for you to be able to do that again. And to do that, <clears throat> years later, He chooses a guy named Abraham, <coughs> Excuse me, <clears throat> where our genealogy starts. And God tells Abraham, through your descendants, through your kids, I'm going to send a king and he's going to make this relationship right again. Except that's a little bit of a problem because when God shows up to Abraham, Abraham's roughly a hundred years old and he has no kids. So this is a little bit of an impractical promise that God makes to say, hey, through your kids, I'm going to send this king. And Abraham thinks the same thing. He's like, bro, I'm a hundred years old. My wife's no spring chicken either. Uh, We're not having kids. But God miraculously gives them a children. And uh, he not only promises through your descendants, you know, well, they'll be more numerous than the sands of the seashore where this king come. But God also promises to give these descendants a place to live. And it's called the promised land because of that. And it's strikingly similar in size and scope and location to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve lived. However, a few hundred years after God makes this promise, uh, Abraham's kids are very numerous. His descendants are very numerous, but they're nowhere close to a paradise where they're living. You know, uh, the estate that they're in is not enjoyable. They are slaves in Egypt. 
enter Moses. Through Moses, God rescues the people out of slavery, takes them out of Egypt, makes a new covenant with them, a new promise at the base of a mountain called Sinai, seals off the covenant with some writing uh, on some tablets, and the people agree to these terms, which for the record, what they're agreeing to is that they'll show all of the world, all the surrounding nations, what it means to follow God. And they're going to be representatives of God by following these rules and these commands that God has given. Yet despite agreeing to this promise uh, that God would bless them and keep them safe and all these things, they too fail to keep the laws. And so God decides that this group of people, they're not going to get into the promised land. They're going to wander the desert for 40 years, and their kids are going to get into the promised land instead. That's where we're at with Nashon. Nashon's not getting in. His son Salmon will. Now, Salmon is kind of a big deal. Okay, He founded the town of Bethlehem, like Bethlehem where Jesus was born, like Bethlehem where King David was raised. And so you can read about that in First Chronicles chapter 2. And I'm sure you're you know, a big deal. Maybe you even served in politics and whatever and, and created some rules. Maybe you're a mayor and whatever. But you've never pioneered an entire town. You've never created the post office and the school system and the roads, and you've never decided where McDonald's was going to go, okay? So uh, my point being is Salmon is legit, okay? He's a big deal. Keep that in mind because verse 5 says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was who? Help me out. Rahab. Now, who is this Rahab character? Only one of the most important women in ancient history. She is named not just here, but in two other places in your New Testament portion of your Bible. And uh, I'll show you those later. First, let's read her story because it's a rather remarkable story. So you need to flip to your left until you come to a place called Joshua. Joshua chapter 2 is where we're first introduced to Rahab and her story. Uh, Moses has died. Joshua, his protege, has risen up the ranks and he's taken over this group of of Israelite people. They're camped out uh, between a river named the Jordan River. I like it already, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, But he's on one side, Jericho's on the other side, and the promised land is just past that. So this is all that stands between them. Uh, A river that can't be crossed by foot, the town of Jericho, and the promised land. Okay, you still with me? Jericho is surrounded by walls anywhere between 13 feet tall to 30 feet tall, depending where you're at. They're 15 feet thick. This is an impenetrable fortress. What are they going to do? The suspense is killing me. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Wait, what? Rahab? The prostitute? The great, great, multiple generation great grandma of Jesus is a prostitute? Yeah, that's Mima, the hooker, you know? That's what we call her. Make it both ways. Verse 2. 
But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. They're not very good at their job. So the king of Jericho sent order. You had one job, guys. Sent orders to Rahab. Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up to them. You guys are so big and strong. Just go chase after them. You'll be fine. Actually, verse 6, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. Fun fact, flax is how they create the world's oldest fabric, linen. So as soon as they harvest the seeds for your smoothies and your linseed oil so you can stain your furniture, they take the stalks of flax, they bundle them together, and they dry them out. And as they dry out, they turn this bright white color, and then they weave them together. And that's how you get linen tablecloths and linen bedsheets. And in ancient history, they would dry them on the roofs where it was hot. So there you go. That's fun. Verse 7. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with him. Now watch what she says because this is huge. Verse 9. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. That was 40 years ago. Rahab's not even alive. How does she know about this? Because news like that doesn't die. We're 4,000 years removed from it. We're still talking about it. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. By the way, Moses did not want to completely destroy Sihon and Og. The Moses and the boys were like, hey, can we cross through your land? We're just trying to get over to the Jordan and to Jericho. And Sihon and Og, they're like, no. And Moses is like, please, I mean, we're not going to touch anything. They're like, no. He's like, I promise, we don't want your food, we don't want your land, we're just going through, you know, be a gem. They're, they're like, no. And Moses is like, if you tell me no one more time, and he, he does not, you know, he's got a little bit of a short fuse, if you know Moses, and they're like, no. And they stick their tongues at him, and so he kills everybody, okay? So that's the story of that. Uh, verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. By the way, Rahab uses the covenant name of God, Lord. It's capitalized in your Bible. L-O-R-D means Yahweh. This is a big deal. People of Israel would rarely uh, use this name. They wouldn't even write it down. If they said it, they had to speak it. And this is the name that Rahab uses, but she's not Jewish. Remember that. Verse 14, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed, if you don't betray us. We will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. So who's giving them the land? Help me out. The Lord. They don't say, hey, when we come in and take the land, when we come in and conquer the land, they say, no, when God gives us the land. 
Side point, you'll only damage your life if you believe good things are things that you have to go out and get and they aren't given by God. That's not what I want to preach to you about. That's just good preaching, okay? So, uh, work hard, but uh, trust God. Uh, Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men who are searching for you. Then, when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. For faith is going to be put into action. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet robe hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your mother, your father, your brothers, and your sisters, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street, they'll be killed and it won't be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on them inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for the death and we'll kill those fools who came in here. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Write this down. Faith is based on facts, not just feelings. Faith is based on facts, not just feelings. I hate it when people say, well, you just got to have faith. It didn't happen because you didn't have faith. As if faith is something that you can just conjure up. That's sometimes true. But it, faith, more often than not, is based on facts, not just feelings. Okay, so I'll explain it to you this way. The battle is in knowing God will versus believing God can. You know, of course He can. He's God. You can do anything you want. But do you believe that He will? Uh, that's the hard part believing that God will. And this idea of faith is based more on fact because God always has uh, and not just on feelings. Rahab believed the stories that she heard about this God who moves and does things for his people, acts on his people's behalf. It's not some stationary statue that we just look at, but rather God moves and interacts with people. And she chose to respond to these facts in faith instead of fear. What did she describe everybody else as? Afraid. Everybody else chose to respond in fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. If you're afraid of something, you're not having faith because faith is is based on facts, not just feelings. You can't trust your feelings. That's the whole point. Uh, Don't just skip over this idea. Rahab is not Jewish. There is no Bible She has no knowledge of Yahweh, the one true God, other than what she's heard. You know, Fox News is not coming in to to relay the message and the story and, and report the news of people crossing the Red Sea. She only has the word of men who have come into her brothel describing this million large group of people traveling through the the desert and the wilderness explain to her what this people is all about. Now think about that. Uh, God uh, is the one true God. She says the supreme God, the one and only God. 
this is crazy just for no other fact than every other world religion at this time pretty much is polytheistic. They believe in multiple gods. We got the God of the sky and the sea and everything else. We know for sure that the Canaanites, of which Wahab is, they're polytheistic. Uh, Archaeology has shown us all kinds of different gods that they worshipped. And yet here she is saying that there's only one true God. Uh, The Canaanite guys demand crazy sacrifices as well. Uh, Some of the gods demand that you burn your child alive on an altar. Uh, If you know the story of Baal, this is a Canaanite god. He demands that they cut themselves and bloodletting and and all this crazy stuff. Uh, We know the Canaanite guys demanded weird sexual orgies that people had to participate in, which might describe how Rahab ended up in the industry and lifestyle that she's in. But we also know that the God of the Bible abhorred the Canaanite religion. And he gave them 500 years to repent, and they never did. And so God now is choosing to punish them for their decision. And in God's providence, he brings two spies to the one person in all of Jericho, likely in all of Canaan, whose heart is ready to respond to his calling, whose heart says, you know, he is the one true God. Is that just coincidence that they happened upon this one brothel, that the one person who was going to believe in God? No, that was God moving on his people's behalf because God is good and God can be trusted, which is why you don't have to summon your faith based on feelings, but rather you can look back and know as Rahab knew that God is good and God is for you and God was moving back here as I'm looking back on live and God was actually over here and he was keeping me safe in this and he caused this to happen so that this would happen and he was working this thing out and no, he didn't want me in that situation but he was going to use it for his glory so that I could come through on the other side and we know, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good for those who love him him and are called according to his purpose. And we know Psalm eighty four eleven that the Lord, he is our son and he is our shield and he bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This is the God that we serve. These are the facts of the God that we serve. Has anybody else seen God's faithfulness throughout the course of their life? If for no other reason, then you're alive right now in here. These are the facts that you have to continually to come back to. And this idea of faith is a big deal because Hebrews eleven six says it's without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so you need to have faith. And faith is a big deal. And if you want to please God, it's much more to do with facts than it does feelings. Imagine being in Rahab's shoes at this moment. The, the spies say you've got to bind this cord uh, into your window and you've got to make sure everybody is in your house and nothing's going to happen to anybody if they're in your house. And that's going to require some faith, right? You're trusting the word of two men you've never met before, that, that your family is going to be safe. And uh, somebody pointed out to me between services how much this was like Noah's Ark that uh, Noah needed to get people into the ark and everybody felt safe and then it was just like, nope. 
And this is the same thing. I'm sure Rahab, every night before she went to bed, she went up and she checked that cord to make sure it was bound in the window. And every morning, as soon as she woke up, the first thing she did before she went and made her coffee was check that cord in the window. That's faith in action. Think about the chaos of walls falling down around you. Stone walls, 30 feet high, falling down. Think about the chaos as you hear people, men and women, screaming around you as they're, they're killed. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a natural disaster before, a tornado or an earthquake. Imagine uh, being in something like that and your kids are screaming and it's all chaotic and things are falling down around you and windows are breaking. And this is the scene that you need to put yourself in when Rahab is in her house rocking her family back and forth as the, 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 the chaos and, and everything happening outside the walls is, is, uh, is happening. You know, verse 11, though, that He is God. He's promised to keep us safe. This is faith. It's based on fact, not just feeling. I wonder if you can speak with that same conviction today. That God is good. That He's in my life. That He's moving for me. I know that back here He was doing these things. My fear is that for most people I meet, they just feel like, well, yeah, there's God and uh, Jesus is just something that I need to add to my life as he's, you know, something you can pick up at the salad bar that he'll be good for me and, you know, he'll r- wave his magic Jesus dust on me and I'll love people and, you know, it'll be good for business if people, you know, I'll get some more clients because they'll know that I serve Jesus and they have no interest in making Jesus the Lord of their life and serving him and following him as king of the universe and what I'm trying to tell you is there might, uh, there has to be some evidence of life change if you're actually following Jesus, which leads me to point number two doesn't matter who you were, it matters who you're becoming. If we learn anything from Rahab, the prostitute, is that it doesn't matter who you were, it matters who you're becoming. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. Don't know much about the profession myself. I uh, know that no little girl dreams of one day becoming a prostitute. I know at first grade career day, that's not at the top of anybody's list, I know in a recent study that people conducted, over 90% of prostitutes and adult film stars that they interviewed wanted to get out of the lifestyle. They just didn't know how. They didn't know what else they could do to earn money. And just in case that doesn't break your heart, I know that the average entry of prostitution in America is 13. Let that sink in. Over 60% of runaways, children runaways, will turn to prostitution in order to make ends meet. 85% of prostitutes are abused in some form or fashion. And to really drive this point home, uh, 30 million men, women, and children right now are being sold and trafficked around the world for sexual sin. Sexually exploiting them for somebody else's gain. 30 million people. It's a travesty. A study, our group, uh, undercover group in Atlanta last year wanted to try and quantify this to see how much money is actually being made in this industry. Just in Atlanta in 2017, they estimated $290 million exchanged hands because of sex trafficking. It's ridiculous. And what I can say with complete impunity is God hates it. 
God despises it. God abhors the industry. And one day, I believe very soon, God is going to send His Son back to this earth and it's going to be horrible and terrifying for the people responsible for this. Do you know the book of Luke says if you're involved in the abuse of a child in this capacity, it would be better for you to hang a millstone around your neck and jump in the ocean? That's the Bible. That's New Testament Bible. You want to get into it, all right? Uh, This is not something to be trifled around with, but the best news I could possibly give any of you if you've ever been involved in this or something like this has been happened to you or affected somebody, you and your family, it doesn't matter who you were. It matters who you're becoming. Jesus wants to transform your life. He wants to wash you new and give you new life. I want to show you something that's just a huge deal. It's a light bulb moment for me in my study this week. Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith chapter. It's one of my all-time favorite chapters in the Bible. I like to read it just periodically because it lists all these uh, different people in the Christian and Jewish faiths. And it describes in detail what they did because of their faith. And it talks about how they shut the mouths of lions and routed armies. And I'm just like, yeah, I want to do stuff like that. I want to do something amazing for God and because of faith. And it just lists, again, everything they did. But Hebrews 11.31, it says this, By faith, Rahab the prostitute, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Uh, one of two women named in that chapter, Rahab the prostitute. James, the half-brother of Jesus, when he's writing about faith, in James 2.25 records this, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now, you see how it describes her in both passages, right? Rahab the prostitute. In, in both in areas. Your translation might say harlot. But check this out. Going back to Matthew chapter 1, it says, Matthew uh, writes, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. What's missing? Her occupation. Her nomenclature. What she was known by every other time in Scripture, when Rahab's name is mentioned, it says Rahab the prostitute. But when we get to the genealogy of Jesus, it just says Rahab, which means, this is good. Okay, some people start clapping after this, which means when you're connected to Jesus, it doesn't matter who you were, it matters who you're becoming. Y'all see what I'm saying? When you're connected to Jesus, it doesn't matter what you lost. It matters who you gained. When you're connected to Jesus, it doesn't matter who you were. Rahab, the prostitute. Fill your name in. Uh, Landon, the alcoholic. I'll use my name, not because of any of these things, but because I don't want to actually say your name and you struggle with it. That would be awkward. Uh, Landon, the addict. Landon, the adulterer. Landon, the pornographer. Uh, Whatever it is that you struggle with. Landon, the wife beater. Yeah, how many of y'all know that ain't true? I mean, you've seen my wife. I'm terrified of her. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, she would kill me. But so my point is, one time we were like flirting around, wrestling around. She punched me square in the face. Not kidding. You can ask her about it. So you don't ever have to worry about that. Uh, come here. But uh, when you're connected to Jesus, my point, when you're connected to Jesus, it doesn't matter who you were. It matters who you're becoming. 
It matters how Jesus is changing your life. Listen to me very carefully. God might have brought you to church for no other reason to hear this. There is more grace in God's plan than there is sin in your past. Come on, somebody. This is the grace and mercy that God has for you, that he cares so much about you, that he sent his son Jesus to die for you, so the penalty is not due you anymore. Some of you can't escape your past, but you don't have to remember it. Why are you remembering that God says he forgot? Hebrews 8, 12, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins when? No more. You're the one that keeps bringing them up. It's not him. If you're struggling with that stuff, that ain't God speaking to your life. Take captive of that thought. Say, no, no, no. He doesn't remember my sins anymore. God has forgiven all my sin, past, present, and future. Now, I want to make sure you understand something, because when I say it doesn't matter who you are, it matters who you're becoming. Becoming is a verb. Becoming is transforming. Uh, There is a little bit of effort required on your part. Uh, Now, all Rahab had to do was hang the cord. Uh, I believe, you know, a lot of that's you. You're responsible for your sin. Jesus did everything. But after that, you need to start doing some things to let people know how God has transformed your life. Stop doing what is wrong. Start doing what God says is right. Trusting God for only what He can do doesn't mean you don't do everything you can do. That's the message. Because we trust God, we're going to do some things in response to that. Only God can make walls fall down. Joshua had to send in the spies. Only God can defeat towns with no weapons, but they still had to march. You still tracking with me? Only God can break down barriers and defeat certain strongholds in your life, but you've still got to hang the cord in your window. I alluded to this earlier in Genesis one twenty-seven. It says, God created man in his image, which means if you're in the image of God, God is a creator. You create things as well. More specifically, you create certain ways to do things. I'll give you just a couple silly examples, okay? Uh, spaghetti. Everybody has a way that they make spaghetti. The appropriate way would be noodles, hamburger, sauce, then cheese. Okay, in that order. If you mix hamburger and sauce together, that's barbaric. You know, like that's, there's no reason to do that. It, you, all still, you know what I'm saying? Like noodles, hamburger, sauce, then cheese. Don't mix. It's not goulash, okay? Spaghetti. That's why you got to keep it separate before, okay? That's one of the ways that, that we've created to do something the right way. Uh, brushing your teeth. Everybody has a way they create, you know, they've created to brush. The appropriate way, the godly way is you you wet your brush first to soften the bristles, then you apply the toothpaste, then you can brush. You don't apply toothpaste, then rinse, then brush. That's, again, savage. Why would you do that? You're going to cut your gums all up or something because it's not soft yet. And so you, there's a right way, and then there's your way or whatever. And so uh, the, the, my point is, since we're made in God's image, God has a way of doing things. And the way God has decided to do things is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you can be mad about that, or you can be thankful that God made a way at all. And uh, this is the way that God has chosen to institute uh, salvation to the world. And uh, God chose to do this, in this case, through a scarlet cord. 
And uh, again, the scarlet cord points us back to the Passover. Again, God's way of rescuing the Israelites from Egypt was to have them paint blood, scarlet blood, over their doorposts, and the angel of death would pass over those uh, houses. And in the same way, the scarlet cord points us forward to the scarlet cord hung on the cross for our sake. Jesus, our scarlet cord, who pays the penalty of sin on the cross for us so that we don't have to, and the penalty do us, and then he breaks the power of sin over our lives by raising from the dead. And this is God's way of doing things. That's how you're rescued. That's how you're saved. That's how you're transformed because of Jesus. Also keep in mind, Rahab didn't just save her life. Verse 12 says that she wanted to guarantee that her family would also be saved. That is to say, once you're saved, it's not just about you. Once you're adopted into God's family, it's about who you can bring with you into God's family. See, God's way has been to create us and to make us heralds of his good news. And so he doesn't save you simply so you won't go to hell. He saves you so you'll break down the gates of hell and bring other people into the family. And so in other words, it's who can you get in your home with you so that they can be protected alongside you? This is God's way. This is what you're supposed to be participating in, the mission and work of God. Can you imagine Rahab going to each one of her family members saying, hey, you've got to come over. You've got to be at my house. I know there's an army marching around. You need to come inside. It's going to be safe for you here. I know this sounds weird, but you've got to come over. Today is the day for you to be like Rahab and start inviting people into the family of God, inviting them to church, saying, hey, I know this sounds weird, but you've got to come to church with me. I know. Just please come to church. I, I promise you, if you'll bring your lost, unsaved family, friends, whoever to this church, nothing weird is going to happen. You're not going to have to worry about something bizarre and snakes and whatever. I mean, you just don't have to worry about it. I promise you every single week we're going to proclaim the good news that Jesus loves them and cares for them and dies for them, wants to be in a relationship with them, and he wants to change their life all for their joy and his glory. Every single week. That's all. We're, that's the only, I have one message. I just repackage it. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And here's some funny jokes along the way. Okay? That's, not me, that's my job. Uh, because God wants to change people's life. He wants them to hear His story move on their behalf. We've made a simple way for you to invite people with the invite cards there in the back. You don't even have to know the people. You might not know your neighbors. Just write their address down. I'll pay for your stamp. Just send it out. Invite. Get as many people here as you can can to hear the good news about Jesus. He has room for them and their family. Because it doesn't matter who they were. It matters who they're becoming the power of Jesus. But that being said, here's where our story takes a sad twist. You might want to jot this down. Grace is offered to everyone, but not accepted by everyone. It's a hard truth, heart-wrenching truth. Don't say it lightly. One of the most heartbreaking things I have to say, but I feel like I'm bound by the book, and if I'm going to be true to the story, I need to remind you that it's offered to everyone. It's simply not accepted by everyone. Rahab didn't have to be the only one who repented and lived. 
If you'll read on in Joshua in chapter 6, you'll read about this army marching around the walls of Jericho and the people on the walls sneering and jeering and everything else and not caring uh, what was imminent for them. And uh, I believe that, that the reason they marched around the wall for seven days was in God's mercy, still trying to give them an opportunity to say, no, we believe like Rahab believes. Uh, we want to trust in the one true God. We saw what he did to Sion and Og. We saw what he did in the Red Sea. We're going to believe as well uh, because God is patient. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The reason you're here this morning might be the patience of God reminding you time could be running out. He wants you to repent. So I'll say this as we close, because I know this does not sound like a Christmas story. We've got hookers and murder and eternity's lost. And it's like, wait, what does this have to do with Advent? Uh, This is the actual story of Christmas. Christmas is the story of God rescuing his people through his son, Jesus. The broken, the hurt, the downtrodden, the wicked, and the wrong. That's why Jesus came. Listen to me very closely. When Jesus was born in that manger, hear me, when Jesus was born in that manger, he had prostitute blood coursing through his veins. When Jesus was born in that manger, he had Canaanite blood pumping through his veins. The Canaanites were the enemy of God. And this is the Savior that we worship. The one who cares about where you're at in life. The one who meets you where you are. The one that that can sympathize and empathize with your life. This is the story of Christmas. I'd be remiss if I also didn't point out the fact that Rahab saved her entire family because of her belief. Some of you are praying for lost family members right now. Kids, spouses, whoever it is. I just want to encourage you this morning. Keep praying. Keep begging God. Keep pleading with God to save their soul. I believe God hears those prayers. I believe God cares about your family. I believe God cares and wants to rescue everybody who is lost. This is the gift that God sent us, His Son Jesus. That's why we give gifts around the same time. This is a free gift offered to anyone. So if you, like Rahab, have trusted in Jesus, don't hold on to the gift. Invite. And if you haven't, I want to give you a chance to trust in Jesus right now, to believe in him. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just ask you to pray with me. Say, God, I believe in you. I believe you are who you said you were, the Lord of the universe, the one true God. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died for me. And I believe he rose from the dead. Because of that, I can be forgiven. So I repent of my sin.
Help me follow you. Thank you for saving me. As we continue to pray, as you just continue to reflect on your life, where is God leading you this morning? Where is he asking you to trust him more fully based on fact, not on feeling? Who is he asking you to invite? Who is he saying, I forgot that sin. Why do you keep bringing that up? Where is he trying to encourage you that, no, you can get over this through my power? God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do and speak to each person here this morning. Help them understand what their next step can be to be closer to you. Encourage us. Help us today live for you. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.